0: is fashion and focus the weekly New Zealand fashion podcast covering our creative world from a unique perspective my name is India Leishman
1: and I'm Murray Bevan and every week we'll connect you with the leading designers editors influencers and stylists from all over the world
0: if you love fashion this is the podcast for you
1: Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Fashion in Focus, a podcast brought together by Showroom 22 in Auckland, New Zealand, covering the world of fashion from our unique perspective. On this episode, like every episode, we aim to explore the modern fashion world from various angles, whether they be design, business, trends, social pressures, politics, media, celebrity or influence. Our guests will join us from all over the world and they'll have something to share with you. My name is Murray Bevan, and I'm the founder and director of fashion PR and communications agency Showroom 22. Today, on this sunny morning in Franklin Road Studios in Ponsonby, I'm delighted to have a friend and ex-colleague join me on the line from Los Angeles. For New Zealanders anywhere between the age of 22 and 62, the Ridge family name is synonymous with sports, mainly through one of the country's most prolific rugby league players, Matthew. Together, Matthew and his then-wife Sally Ridge formed a seminal backbone in New Zealand's celebrity pop culture, appearing at numerous events and gracing the media's party and gossip pages for years. Together, they raised two children, Jamie and Boston, both of whom have emerged from their parents' embrace to forge successful and independent careers of their own. Widely regarded as one of New Zealand's leading digital fashion authorities, Jamie Ridge boasts a revered body of work that she has quietly amassed over the past four years. After completing tertiary studies in commerce, majoring in marketing and commercial law, Jamie cut her teeth as fashion editor for leading New Zealand independent publications Remix and Denizen. She was an early adopter of socially driven content and today talks to a highly engaged audience of global tastemakers that number into the tens of thousands. Jamie boasts a portfolio of client work that includes brands like Bally, Bulgari, Furla, Gucci, Louis Vuitton, Prada, Tiffany & Co., Tom Ford, Dior Beauty, Joe Malone and Moet. After moving to London in 2016, Jamie now resides in Los Angeles and spends her time chasing fashion's endlessly moving circus from city to city. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome to Fashion and Focus, Jamie Rich. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Thank you, Maz. It's such an honor to be a part of this. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's been a little while in the planning, but we're so glad we've got you on the line from LA. So... Um, Jamie, I wanted to kind of embark on this conversation as something that's going to hopefully uh, inform our listeners about not so much you know New Zealand style taking on the world, and you know we're minnows in this big global pool of mega fashion players. But um, I feel that we've got a pretty awesome crew at the moment of Kiwis spotted around the world in some pretty significant fashion. Um, places, we've got tastemakers, we've got leaders of thought, we've got design leaders, uh, we've got influencers, business leaders, and they're quietly going about their their way of doing things around the world. And I think mm-hmm. that you are one of those, and you're you're helping the the industry here to realize some pretty amazing new limits. So oh,
0: thanks, Mark
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> I suppose, as an introduction, and for those people that may know a little bit about you, and maybe those who you know haven't uh, followed your journey into fashion, can you give us a bit of a a bit of an overview? I suppose, and, and some insights into where you are now, and maybe the past couple of um, years of of how you've got here.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, I always find it really hard describing how I've got here because I feel like the last 6 years have very much blended into one um but basically as you said I finished my studies at Auckland University and then I knew I didn't want to kind of pursue that area um so I came and worked for you yes you um, did <laughs> And did that for two and a half years. And then at that point, um, I'd been styling for Remix and Denizen, um, doing some stuff for Badlands Journal and other publications. And I was pretty much set on my own path of moving overseas and continuing to do um, the content creation that I kind of started doing for brands um, maybe about four or five years ago now. Um, And that led me to Central St. Martin's in London. Um, And then from there, I kind of thought, well, I might as well start doing the global fashion circuit. Mm. Um, As you know, a lot of the brands um, that I work with don't have um, the hugest presence in New Zealand. And it was an easy way for me to kind of build on those relationships and support those relationships by, um, by traveling and doing London, Milan, Paris, and New York. And, and that's kind of where that started. And from there, I chose to base myself in LA as it was a good pivoting point between, um, Europe and New York and New Zealand and Australia. So that's kind of kind of the brief overview yeah, of how years s- I got here up in 40 seconds.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, on on that note, um, before we get into the the big bad world of Kiwis taking on fashion, LA is is interesting at the moment, and I've heard from several people, especially those who used to be based in New York, that mm. LA is now kind of flexing its fashion muscles and a lot of people are moving there I think the lifestyle mm-hmm. potentially is a little kinder than than New York in terms of weather etc but um, mm. you know like Nike are putting a lot of their creative resource into the west coast and you know other brands are popping up with big headquarters there and flagship stores and that kind of thing did that play yeah. a part in your thought process about you know maybe America's where I need to be and New York's kind of the biggest city that comes to mind first what were the things that made you choose LA?
0: um I think prior to choosing LA I was actually in New York for six months um and while I loved New York it was really far from home and as you say the people I was speaking to in the industry a lot of people were moving to the west coast I think the cost of living in New York um and how heavily saturated it is in New York I mean like any city it has a certain aesthetic in a certain way and i feel like some people were exhausted by that and yeah. moving over to the west coast it's just it's just different the aesthetics different there's more room to move like mm. it's it's a, just a very different vibe and so does it
1: feel a little bit more optimistic maybe
0: absolutely it doesn't feel tired mm. um, it's close to silicon valley there's like a lot of innovation here i mean it's, it's just different. It it feels like it's kind of now beginning to be like the fresh and new side of fashion in America.
1: Yeah, that's great. I mean, optimism, I suppose, is a key word for me and my business. and, And I like to try and encourage our clients and our staff and the people that we deal with that, you know, fashion can be fun and fashion doesn't have to be too uber serious. Um, And I suppose on that, on that note, Jamie, you have always appeared to me to be someone who, while being really diligent and uh, details focused and smart in what you do, um, you also don't, don't take yourself too seriously. Um, (laughs) And I think, I mean, that probably leads us into our, our first little moment of conversation, which you and I have discussed now, Jamie, I can feel your eyes rolling from here and that when you think back to how you started in the fashion industry, um, maybe you were also set up for thinking that you had to break down some barriers and prove to people that you in fact um, were a different, creative, independent, smart thinker. Um, And I think sometimes maybe that's also an opinion that's shared of lots of people in fashion. It's maybe an industry that's not taken super seriously or as serious as other uh, industries and you know there you are having to also prove to people that um, you've grown up and you're your own person now so how have you navigated that through your life especially in the last four years having to make a brand out of yourself and and move forward with this thing that you're so passionate about talk to me about that
0: I think it's very easy to sit here now and look back and think it wasn't that hard. But by all means, I like really had to put in a lot of effort and a lot of time. And I sacrificed a lot um, to kind of get to where I am now. And I think it's easy for people to um, look at what I do and look at what people like me do and think it's all easy and all you have to do is <laughs> post photos of yourself or mm. You know, do whatever to get free stuff but it it's a lot harder than that and there are a lot of things that you have to sacrifice in order to really hone in on like what your brand is and where you want to go and it is a business and it requires a business plan and it requires you to be long-sighted and not short-sighted and think big picture not small picture and, and really plan ahead and I think um a lot of people don't really understand that. And because it is a very, um, aesthetically driven industry, I mean, that's really what fashion is at the end of the end of the day. It's about producing things that look good. And mm. while that's obviously super important, it's a lot that goes on behind the scenes and, it's not easy and by no means am i saying oh you know it's just as hard as being a surgeon or anything like that it just requires different things and people do work really hard in our industry and they work ridiculous hours and they do things that are out of control and i know that it is just fashion but at the end of the day like it is people's livelihood and i was watching um the september issue on my way back from Europe recently. And it was so interesting. Anna Winter at the end um, speaks about how her brother and sister had like these incredible jobs and how they laugh at her as being, you know, the editor of a fashion magazine, but she is a businesswoman, mm. and a lot of these people that are in our industry, a businesswoman and a business people, mm. it's a business at the end of the day, a multi-billion-dollar business.
1: Yeah, and I had a great conversation with Maggie Hewitt from Maggie Maryland last week, and, and she she wasn't frustrated because Maggie is an exceptionally measured, and <laughs> centered and calm <laughs> woman, but lovely person. She's amazing. Um, she is also, and this is something I experienced, I suppose, with Catherine Wilson many, many years ago, and we both made a concerted effort to uh, to change the, the dialogue and the narrative. But Maggie is also, you know, she's a real business force. You know, she's she comes across, I think, to a lot of people as it's all kind of just happened organically. And, you know, she's very clever in making it feel so effortless because her brand is supposed to feel effortless. But Mm -hmm. my God, I I know what she does, the travel, the investment, the resource, the staffing, the production, the attention Mm -hmm. to detail, you know, and and unfortunately, I suppose what we in fashion get a lot of the time is people see the, the... one percent of images that are actually published of what we do and it's often and you'll know this being in in digital influence it's it's one of 50 or 60 or 100 photos that may have been taken on that day um and it doesn't really give anybody a true perception of of what fashion is um so no and and i know that I think... you would have i mean you would have spent tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars and hours and hours and hours of your time and thousands upon thousands of hours flying from city to city going Mm. I can do this I can do this you know like (laughs) I've just got to get through another week and I've got to eat some more two-minute noodles and I can afford that next flight to Milan or whatever you know like I, I bet it's been it's been pretty um it's been pretty grueling at times
0: Yeah, I think also that's, like, a really big downfall of social media. And while I know that there is, like, this whole push to – people being authentic about their experience and all that kind of thing. It is hard because you can't be too authentic because Mm. (laughs) most of your content would be miserable. You know, traveling for Fashion Week (laughs) is not fun. Like there is nothing fun about it. Like yes, arriving at shows and seeing these collections, like those moments are incredible. But the in-betweens and the missing your family and the Mm. missing flights and the stress around it, like that stuff is so Mm. grueling and so intense and maybe we can start
1: a uh, an instagram handle called fashion misery and it's just all of the outtakes (laughs) and all of you sitting on on the on in the gutter in new york after missing your flight and not having enough money to catch a cab and yeah like i could probably it's
0: endless yeah
1: i can add a few (laughs) anecdotes into that one too Hey, but Jamie, picking up on your point just before, you know, you talked about missing family and and I know that you are a real homebody. You're a very, very dedicated family person. You've got a beautiful family back home. Um, I see them all the time at Franklin Road New World. Um, <laughs> but, you know, seriously, like you, you've always been in in my eyes, you know, someone who's very morally upstanding and very family oriented. And talk to me about how hard it's been to remove yourself from that because you're pursuing this thing that you love and you're making money and you're becoming independent and you're carving out the brand of Jamie Ridge. But it's not easy doing that while you can't come back home at night and have a glass of wine with mum and talk to her on the couch and have a hug, you know?
0: Yeah, I think it it is really hard mostly being away from my family. Um, I mean, I still get to see them a lot and I'm very lucky they travel and I obviously need to come... to New Zealand or Sydney for work a bit and we make it you know work as much as we can but there is no um place like home and to Mm. me home is where your family is or where your friends are and it, it is hard and it's it's endless as well you know you you have an end date and you're going home for Christmas and then like yep. that's your point of happiness and then that ends and then it's like, oh, okay, well, when's the next time? And it's mm. like it feels like you're constantly, you know, trying to make the most of those moments and while – It is hard it's a sacrifice and there's there's sacrifices of everything if I had have stayed in New Zealand I probably wouldn't have got my career to where it is now and Mm. you know my parents have always been very um supportive of what I do and they've always said like there were bigger things for me than you know the tiny market in New Zealand and they were so happy when I decided to move overseas but it is hard and it is hard to find that replacement and you never will. And no matter how many people you surround yourselves with, it's, it's, yeah, it it is a challenge, but at the same time, like it's amazing. And you can't look at the downfalls and feel sorry for yourself. You've got to be so grateful. And I'm so grateful. I get the opportunity to do what I do. And at at any given moment I can go home and a lot of people Mm. don't have that luxury. So Mm. I'm like very lucky in that respect.
1: Yeah. And I suppose we'd look at you as, as a as a new purveyor of digital influence and digital media and, and a new conversation around fashion. And, you know, you look back to some of the people who have uh, set that path and, and built those roads. You know, Karen Walker, we've mentioned her and, and she gets talked about a lot even to this day about how she's worked so hard around the world. And yes, she's worked so hard to grow her own business, but I also don't think that our... our a contemporary fashion community would give Karen enough credit for breaking down some pretty massive um, barriers of what what Kiwi fashion identities can achieve mm-hmm. around the world. You know, Tim Blanks at Business of Fashion, a lot of people wouldn't know that he's a Kiwi. He comes back to his home in St. Helia's every year or so. You know, we've talked about Maggie Hewitt and the way that she's achieving at such an incredible level so quickly and and making it look... Effortless, even though I know she probably hides the grueling nature of what she does very, very well. Um, you've got Paris Mitchell-Temple and Georgia Cherry from Paris, Georgia, who are making their own waves over, overseas, and they've got an, a really great network of people that um, are, are embracing them and, and helping them, you know, move through those next markets. Um, Greta Villiger, who's head of design of pre-collection at Loewe. Gosha from uh, Koto, who was basing her time between Wellington and London, and is almost exclusively now in London. Paris Gobel doing that incredible work with Rihanna, uh, with her Fenty collection. So you've got mm-hmm. all these people who have said, not not if you to New Zealand, then there's nothing for me here, but they've gone. There's a bigger world. I think I can make an impact. I want to be where I want to be, right at the heartbeat. And mm-hmm. you know, yes, it's really difficult, but. I kind of feel like there's this awesome energy there from Kiwis not banding together and saying, here we are, we have a Kiwi aesthetic, um, hear us roar, but you're doing things in an independent way and and New Zealand impact, I suppose, is resonating around the world. How do you see your impact next to those um, kinds of people? And do you think there's a specific formula to New Zealand success around the world in fashion or do you think that it's kind of organic?
0: Well, I feel honoured that you put me alongside those people, Maz, so thank you. <laughs> I definitely don't see myself um, as anything close to any of those, but I do, there's, I understand what you're saying. self-deprecating <laughs> New Zealand
1: uh, characteristic coming out, Jamie, but yes, I understand what you're saying and you're very polite. Uh, but yeah, and it's not to say that you guys are like some big fashion team, like everyone grab an instrument no. and let's all go in <laughs> together. But, you know, I kind of, I look at, I sum you guys up together and I look at you together and I go, this is a pretty awesome new beginning for us.
0: Yeah. And I think you have to um, pay tribute to the fact that we are all from New Zealand and I was having a conversation with um, someone in London recently and I was trying to explain to them, they obviously worked in the industry, but I was trying to explain to them how um, the industry in New Zealand is big. In its own way and it is progressive and we are making an impact on the global stage and people like Maggie with her incredible sustainability like drive behind her business and you've got Paris Georgia who are addressing I mean everyone and I mean obviously Paris Gobel with Fenty mm. and these people aren't necessarily always credited to being from New Zealand mm. but I think our success is very much derived from how we have a very innovative approach to everything and because we are so um, far away from everything in terms of distance we've had to kind of make things work and you'll find like a lot of people especially in the U.S. have a very much uh, an approach that's oh this is my job and I don't step outside of this role and we don't have that. We mm being from New Zealand we do everything and we will do everything and we'll do whatever we can to make things as best as they can with just one person Mm. and I mean I've found with a lot of my US based clients especially they love that I'm like that and they always you know say it's it's so interesting and they're, they're not used to working with people that are so kind and so forthcoming and so easy and with with an attitude of, oh, I'll just make it work. And honestly, that's something I've I've said on the daily because you do mm. just have to make it work. Mm. And like that's why we are so good at what we do because we just make it work. And yeah. that's why we, we can perform on a global stage because we just make things work.
1: And how much of that do you think resonates with Kiwis in general? And this is, I think, an important point for me and I often struggle with it. It's that... I sometimes find that people that enter the fashion industry think that they maybe need to perform in a certain way, act a certain way, speak a certain way. Um, mm-hmm. They need to be dramatic at when things go wrong um, because that's what fashion people do, you know, like I kind of, and you know what I mean, right? Like it's, it's that yeah. kind of fashion parody person who's kind of the most fabulous in the room and the totally. people that i know that are successful in this industry are really really hard grafters they could probably be successful at almost anything that they put their mind to from building a garden box to cleaning a car but they've chosen mm-hmm. fashion because it's it's that one thing that they want to be their pursuit and i suppose you've got a you've got a doubly hard um, road to travel because you've had to kind of break down some of the preconceptions of your family name and where you've been. And, and now you're also an influencer. So you're your own brand. You know, you don't get mm. to say, well, I work for Vogue and and ride on the coattails of someone else's big brand, your brand, Jamie Ridge, you know, yeah. and I'm all about brands. I love brands, but I often also talk to young people who come into the industry that's me sounding really old, young people, <laughs> but you know, they talk about, I want to start a brand and I'm, and I stop them there. And I'm like, you don't start a brand. You start you a company a or you, yeah. you, you know, you create a designer collection or something. You become a brand because mm. you, you know, there are certain things that make your brand. So what, apart from the probably, uh, a typical version of kind of, oh, well, Kiwis are nice and Kiwis have got a can-do attitude and that kind of stuff, which I agree with. What makes brand Jamie Ridge?
0: I think time, for one. Um, you know, I think people often think, oh, you know, I'm just going to start this or start that and hope it's going to be an immediate success. I don't agree with that. And you grow and you learn and things happen over time and it's taken me so many years to get to where I am now. And a lot of the brands I work with, they need to see that your brand is true to you and that you're not going to one minute be supporting this and then jumping onto supporting this. And Mm. when it is yourself, as you said, it's not like I'm working for a publication. Like I am me and everything I do is a reflection of me as a person and my values and how I choose to live my life. And that is a whole nother level of pressure in terms of how you construct yourself and how I construct my work. And Mm. it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's a challenge and by all means it does have its sacrifices and you know you're constantly turning down jobs that you maybe shouldn't be because you need the money but Mm. it's this constant thing of well it's not really on brand for me and you just have to make those sacrifices and Mm. those are things that I mean people don't even you'd never even think about until you're in the position of having to basically put yourself out there twenty four seven and watch everything that you do and question yourself at every point because in our day and age and with social media and with the way that it, I mean personal brands are, everything you do is scrutinized. Mm, you're under a microscope. And you've got to be exactly it's like you the can say one thing, thing wrong.
1: The, of the Truman Show every <laughs> single day, you know?
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah, everyone's got a point of view. Um
0: so it it's it's a challenge but at the same time if you're authentic to yourself mothers I'm mm. sure you're exactly the same if you're authentic all the time it becomes like second nature and you know you you know yourself inside and out and mm. if you just stay on that traje- trajectory like my experience so far is <laughs> it's only been being successful
1: mm. And your point about authenticity, it comes up so much in in our marketing conversations day to day with clients and within other agencies and within marketing, it's... It's this, um, It's and it's kind of ironic that people are kind of grasping onto it like this new thing, but of course, <laughs> pe- people since the dawn of time have wanted their peers to be authentic and honest. You know, it's like, we don't want to be lied to, whether or not you're mm. suggesting that someone reads this library book or, you know, has a milky bar instead of a crunchy. You want to, you know, you want to, well, you'd like to hope that they're being honest to you about that kind of stuff. So... I think that the irony is that influences, there's there's probably this dark, there's this feeling that it's this dark art that they're always trying to deceive us, you know. (laughs) But I mean, the cool thing about you is that you would just straight up tell people if you didn't want to do something. And I suppose what you don't and other people like you don't get celebrated enough for because you're never going to divulge it is the stuff that you do say no to and the jobs that you respectfully decline because they're not in line with what you do. And it, it leads me on to another talking point about being a responsible influencer and ensuring that mm. you stand up for what's right in your eyes. You know, and I feel like you've always been a very morally upstanding person and you know, we talked before about how you're dedicated to your family and and you've never been selfish and you're always extremely selfless, in fact. And I'm really keen to hear how you balance those inner voices that sometimes tell you not to endorse a brand or the other voice that says hey Jamie you really need to pay rent this week so this maybe you <laughs> take that on you know and then you and then you're battling with your audience which is literally numbering in the tens of thousands that say but I want to know what's new and I want to know what's cool like yeah. how do you that's how do you even sleep with all of those decisions you know like talk me through I, that process
0: I think from a very Early on in my career in this path, I knew where I wanted to be and where I wanted to get to. And I think if you have that end goal in mind... Everything that comes your way, you ask yourself, you know, is this going to get me to here? If I work with this brand, will this brand still want to work with me? Mm. And as I said, it's it's a business. So you have to make a business plan. So I have a very, you know, stringent business plan in place. And if something falls in my lap and it's not going to get me to where I need to be, then I can't do it. And, mm. and that's just life. And you've got to follow your gut. And if something's not going to fit, you can't do it because that will be inauthentic and it's not gonna get you to where you want to go. And I mean, I'm lucky to be surrounded by people that are like-minded and like Chloe Hill, who we spoke about earlier. She is, you know, one of my best friends and she has played a massive role in helping me like define and predict where I wanna go and what I need to do in terms of, you know, the immediate things in order to get there. And she's mm. also been so helpful in terms of opening my eyes into like the bigger global issues in fashion and consumption and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think it's it's about having an end goal and knowing what you need to do mm. to get there and surrounding yourself with people who understand that as well.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say surrounding yourself with people who understand your journey, respect your journey, can sometimes help you get there or maybe sometimes play devil's advocate and say, hey, Jamie, yeah. I think you've lost sight of that one. I would yeah. recommend you maybe take a step back, you know, and and not do that next project because maybe, I mean, maybe a manager would be more in tune, some managers anyway, would say um, – but we've got that other project next week and that's twice as much money. So can yeah. we do that, you know? Uh, and on that yeah. note, Jamie, you're self-managed, you know, you- I'm self-managed. Yeah, which is
0: awesome. <laughs> I mean, hey, Lord, yeah. self-managed
1: as well. So, you know, two of the, the Oh, most, that
0: makes me feel better. I yeah, didn't know that.
1: <laughs> yeah, two of the most awesome young New Zealand creatives making their mark on the world are doing it themselves. But, yeah, you know, I
0: think it's um, it's really easy to get sucked into a trap of feeling like you need a manager. And I mean, I've had a manager since I was very young in doing modeling. Mm. So for me to branch away from that, it it took me ages to get my head around it. And I loved my manager and we're still friends. But there comes a time when you know yourself and you know your brand, and you know your business inside out. Why do you need someone else to help you? You know? It, yes. I like being in control and I was so happy to be able to take that control back because I – at the end of the day, I am my brand. My brand isn't Mm. separate to me. Like I am who I say I am, so I don't really need someone else to guide me in the right direction because I know.
1: Mm. And I think you probably don't give yourself enough credit for being bold enough and brave enough to do that because, again, in fashion there's people that – you know – I think people come into the industry thinking I better dress like this, I better talk like this, I better act like this. You know that mm. that situation needs management, and I'm an influencer now, therefore I need an agent. And mm. you know I'm not saying that that doesn't work because um, it's you know it's clearly worked for many 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 people. But yeah, I don't I don't think people would give you enough credit, and those like you who say actually. I'm going to go out there and do this on my own. And, and from my personal experience, I know that sometimes people in that situation, the work dries up because the only reason they've ever got work is because they've been sort of um, delivered or presented to mm. a client in a perfectly packaged little box. And, and you, you tick a certain box for a client for a certain job and they only really look at the numbers and the engagement you know, they don't yeah. look at Jamie. They don't really, with all due respect, they probably don't even want to hear from the talent. They just want mm. you to post the picture. And that's where I think I worry, I suppose, that uh, this the world of influence is becoming too much of a commodity-based, um, message-based uh, yeah. movement and I, and not, not authentic storytelling.
0: Totally. And I mean, in so many circumstances, that's so true. But I think when, I mean, I manage all my relationships myself and I do have very personal relationships with all these brands and that's been built up over years of me investing time and flying to all the fashion weeks overseas and like really, really nurturing those relationships. One, because I love these brands, but two, because this is my livelihood. And, Mm. you know, I don't want to be thought of as just a person being like ticked for boxes and like, Mm. oh yeah, she creates cool content. Great. Like Mm. the clients I work with, they choose me because it's me and because I, I really, really genuinely love, buy you know, wear their brands regardless of whether I was mm. working with them or not, and I think yeah. that's the difference. And again, I'm lucky because I'm in a different space. A lot of influencers these days, you know, sit in a different in a different tier. So it's just it's just a different it's a different business.
1: Mm. How have you seen that that rise of kind of the mega influencer? And you know, th- we had a great conversation with Holly Garber from Go Lightly PR in Sydney, who's another one of our. Fashion and Focus podcast interviewees um Holly is a brilliant thinker and she said to me in a meeting years ago she said we're starting to deal with people of influence rather than influencers and mm. I think that the idea of influencers as has been the trajectory of of that growth um and in hi- hindsight's a great thing we can say well they started there and now they're different but we have experienced these mega influences and I think back to Rumi Neely um, from Fashion Toast, who mm. I think was the first I wanna I I wanna say seven-figure blogger when they were called bloggers. But you know, she was she was earning so much money that she, it was celebrated that that this one person in this amazing new industry called influence could make so much money. And I'm sure there's people mm. nowadays that probably make that much money every month. Um how, how do you how do you what are some of those people that you might have been inspired by in those early days and where are they now and maybe how has their trajectory changed or have they been eclipsed by um, newer players? What's your take on that?
0: I don't think I can look at anyone and say that I was influenced by them in in my industry. I think I, I never set out and was like, I want to get 50,000 followers so I can start working with brands. Like it mm. all started organically and I loved clothes and I loved, I used to save up like for a year to buy my first Gucci handbag, you know, and that was it was a very genuine thing for me and I never really knew about bloggers. It wasn't until a friend of mine who worked in an agency said to me, We don't have any bloggers in New Zealand, Jamie, and you like you always dress so well, blah blah blah. I feel like you should do this. It wasn't until then that I actually thought it was a career. And from there I never really was like, oh, I'm going to look to this blogger or this blogger for my inspiration. Like, Mm. I. You've kind of been figuring it out on your own
1: since day one.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think it's hard when you are from New Zealand and you're trying to compare yourself to these people from huge markets. Like, it's. You're never going to be like them, and Mm. nor do I want to be. Mm. It's. I I look at what I do as more of a a creative thing, and I like working with these brands that give me the freedom to create using their products And you know Gucci for example, is such an exciting brand for me to work with because their collections are just so beautiful and so interesting and every collection is so different and the meaning behind it is so different. So I approach what I do from that perspective and look to photographers and you know art and all that side of our mm. industry for inspiration, not so much the people as such. Um, I yeah. mean, business people, yes, of course you look to, but in terms of yeah, visually influences as such is not really how I
1: mm.
0: how and I approach it. Do
1: you think you'll look back on that way of working and, and that mo, so to speak, and and you'll be proud of the fact that you just you did it your way. You won't look back and go, oh, maybe I should have changed tact at that that month or that time in Milan when all those influences were wearing those red leather skirts, maybe I should have worn a red leather skirt too, you know, or or (laughs) do you look back and you go, actually, nah, I am I. think I did it my way and that's good.
0: I think it's so easy to um, find yourself getting sucked into that trap and Mm. you constantly need to check yourself. And I never want to be one of those people that just like blends in with the crowd and like, you know, I don't go to fashion week to be... (laughs) Blended in with everyone else who's wearing, you know, the latest thing from this brand or this brand. Like, my intention is to go and find inspiration and connect with interesting people and, you know, view these beautiful collections. It's for me, it's not about the social, you know, looking like you're. <laughs> You're fitting in with the crowd, but I mm. mean, I've never been like, as you know, Mary, you, mm. you know me. I've never been about that, mm. and that but is it's easier that said to me than is done. just,
1: you know, it's, it's really de- easier it's said than definitely
0: done. easier said than done. I mean, I, and I mean, of course, you find yourself sometimes falling into, you know, the social pressures. But again, you have people around you, like Chloe, for example. We travel together, and she's always so great. She. Constantly is just doing her own thing, and
1: mm. that
0: is so good to be around because then it makes you feel like you're not off on your own track alone. You know, you're both doing your own thing, and that's powerful in its own mm. way.
1: Yeah, and Jamie, I mean, you're at the forefront of of these big global movements, and 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 I, uh, you know, with all due respect, you're not probably. Um, creating those global movements, but you're within touching, you're within touching <laughs> distance. You know, you'll get there. You'll, don't worry. You'll get there. But, um, I'm so offended, yeah, Mars. Yeah. You're, you know, you're within, you're literally within touching distance of the people who are, who are setting the pace. You're yeah. at your, you could walk up to designers and other influencers and business owners. And, you know, you're at the Gucci show. I mean, the designers and their teams, and the and the owners and the investors, and they're all right there. You could go mm. and shake their hand and say, "Give me a piece of advice, you know," or "What are you doing tomorrow? Like, yeah. what's what drink are you drinking right now?" Oh my God! Okay, so caramel lattes are, are going <laughs> to be the drink of fashion from tomorrow <laughs> because you said it first. And again, we don't we don't get we're not privy to as much of that information back here. But you're you're on the starting line of that, of that race every single day. What feeling do you get for where the fashion world is moving right now based on those interactions? And what are the key talking points in your industry in LA and, and in Europe right now?
0: It's so crazy when you put it like that, but you're so right. It's, it's weird because you have to have these moments. Like when I was sitting at the Gucci show recently, I just had to take a moment and be like, I'm actually sitting here and I am amongst all these people who mm. are literally the leaders in their field. And like it is crazy. Like it's amazing, but it's crazy.
1: Yeah, it's surreal, right?
0: Um, it's so surreal and it's so easy just to um, – you know, be there and exist and not really, you know, set yourself and think about how lucky you are. Mm. Um, anyway, back to what you were saying about um, where fashion is moving.
1: Yeah. Um, what, what's I, the zeitgeist? What's, what's yeah, on, what are you feeling right now?
0: It's so interesting. And I mean, I don't mean to revert back to Gucci again, but... Um, one of the things that really stood out to me this, um, this past year, um, or sorry, last year, going through last season's at Fashion Week, um, was the push for like social consciousness and sustainability and I feel like that has been, like, one of the key takeouts for the last 12 months in the industry. Mm. Um, Gucci's show was, like, su- a certified su- sustainable event. And, like, everywhere there was signs saying, you know, the show is certified sustainable. And at no other show had I ever seen that before. And, I mean, mm. we've seen all these huge brands that are now fur-free and a lot of them mm. built their their customer base on the fact that they had fur. You know, you go back yes. 100 years when fur was like the luxury and these luxury houses, that's how their foundation started. And that to me has been so interesting and something that I am like super happy about mm. um, because I mean, that- at the end of the day it needs to happen. Do
1: you feel that <laughs> those talking points – Again, to play devil's advocate, do you think that they are authentic? I mean, sustainability does seem to be such a buzzword, and there are definitely companies around the world, even in New Zealand, who who think that simply saying that they're made in New Zealand makes them sustainable, which it doesn't. Yeah, but um, no. how? How much do you think and how, I suppose, how long do you think that conversation will last and who do you think is actually doing it and standing behind it and doubling down on that narrative rather than just putting a sign out the front of their show to say that this is sustainable? Um, And I'm not not saying that Gucci did that, but you know know what I mean. There's some people who'll put it on a T-shirt and others who have it in the boardroom and will tell every single employee in their company this is what we're doing and they'll stand behind it. Who's doing that well, do you think?
0: Uh, Doing that well, I don't know, because I'm not in the boardroom. Mm. But what I do know is that it is hard to say you are something without you actually being that nowadays. It's too easy for someone to find out you're not and blast Mm. you on social media. Mm. And, like, I mean, recently there was an event um, held around um, the Fashion Week in September And, um, there was some issues around diversity and inclusion. Um, and, you know, Kirby Jean Raymond came out and said, you know, they're literally appropriating our culture and this this whole event is meant to be around diversity and inclusion. And I mean, if you didn't have these voices that could stand up and say, this is not okay. Mm. If it was all just glossy magazines telling you that this was how it is, then I would be a lot more um, wary of the things that brands are saying. But everyone has a voice now, and as you said yeah. earlier, everyone's a publisher. Yeah. And the interesting thing is now Kirby's whole um, his whole spiel and his article has actually overwritten the event that was held. It's Mm. like that has been spoken about more so than the actual event. And Mm. so I try and find, you know, solace in the fact that if these brands are saying that they're one thing and they're not, that someone's going to speak out about it. And do you think
1: you have a responsibility also to speak out to your followers about those things too? I mean, I know that takes – a pretty brave person to do it and it's definitely not not everyone's cut out for that narrative but again talking about responsibility and ethics and morals mm. what do you think it would take for, for you to take to a live Instagram video and, and talk to your guys and say hey I'm not working with that brand anymore because they've crossed a the line
0: yeah i don't think i mean yeah i'm no dapper dan and i'm not gonna like make a song and dance about it Mm. um but i will not work with certain brands for certain reasons and Mm. i have stopped relationships with brands for reasons that i mean i haven't made public Mm. but i think it wouldn't take much for me to actually have a stance and like i have been very um I've changed my ways of consumption and I I don't accept gifting anymore. And unless I know I'm going to wear it, I have this rule that if I'm not going to have something in my wardrobe for at least two years, I'm not going to buy it or I'm not going to accept it as a gift. Mm. And that is something, and that might sound silly to some people and they might think that's really stupid and, oh, only two years. But I mean, as you know, as in our industry, if I said yes to everything, I would probably Mm. receive fifty packages a week. Mm. And so it's those changes that I make personally that I I see as myself doing what I can for our industry and my support of luxury brands and luxury goods again is my way of being like I'm not buying things from the likes of fast fashion brands that mm. I am investing in pieces that I am gonna have forever or that if I don't want any more, I can sell for a decent amount on a website like The Real Real or Vestiaire. And I started purchasing things off those websites because there is such an overdue like there is so much stuff and everyone's constantly being told they need to buy new things and
1: mm. brands
0: like Gucci are doing really interesting things how they're carrying their patterns on and their fabrics into next season so you don't look back and say oh but that floral pattern was from last season and so I think that movement is a really interesting movement for me mm. because I've never been a trend of trend buyer I've always been an investment piece buyer mm. But I think that that I've, I've been trying to push that more this year, especially um, in terms of like what I do and, and how I create. And I mean, not wearing fur was like quite a big, a big thing for me because I had a lot of fur coats, you know, mm, mm. and I sold all my fur coats. And those things, I mean, sound stupid to people listening from outside of our industry, but when mm. you've kind of, that that's your life those small things that you make and those small changes actually do really impact the way you do your job and how you work and how you make money because you don't work Mm. with certain people because of certain things and I'm sure you can appreciate that takes a sacrifice
1: yeah and I I think maybe you're downplaying it to say that Well, not downplaying it, I think you've probably hit the nail on the head that you say that people might think that for us to say, oh, now I don't wear fur anymore and I've got rid of all my fur coats. It's like, well, first of all, you are very lucky to have them because they're very expensive. And (sighs) second of all, that's very nice that you say that you've got rid of them. But what difference is that going to make? But when you've got many, many millions of consumers around the world who used to consume fur from major luxury houses and now those houses are saying we won't be doing it anymore. When you mm. put all of those voices and all of that movement together, then you have a positive impact, you know. and Totally. Again, maybe that's one of those things that, you know, coming back to the whole reason of talking to you today, uh, Kiwi fashion influencers and, and industry creatives and people that want to get into this industry, um they they may think, well, how could I ever do that? There's too many barriers. There's too many other people out there doing this. I'll never make mm-hmm. a difference, you know, and you can.
0: You can. And you can, I mean, that's one thing, again, Chloe has been so amazing at like showing me how we can do these things. And like, that's why I, I mean, me doing it, I'm not saying I'm making a difference, but me Doing it and sharing my experience how I've shared my experience this year and how I've stopped doing a lot of things and I've changed my ways of doing things and like that in itself if you're influencing one other person to then change their ways and they're Mm. influencing one person it's it's a movement and I don't think you can ever look at it like I'm alone standing here doing this for myself and no one else is really watching or it's not making an impact like Mm. okay. That's one way of looking at it but if you are actually truly doing what you say you're doing and you're doing it in a very authentic way then of course it's going to have an impact because you're going to start influencing people around you just like Chloe has heavily mm. influenced me mm.
1: and do you think that to wrap it up you know it's kind of the inception of influence that actually you're saying that you that you are very very um, cognizant of your of your followers and what they demand um, from you and what you uh, feel obliged to deliver to them in terms of information and, you know, current topics and, you know, and brands and pieces that you genuinely love. Do you feel mm-hmm. that that sway and that kind of like seesawing between what do they want from me and but what should I morally be telling them and, you know, like which parties have I been invited to but what are the actual messages that I want to take away from those events and share with my people? how uh, what's your I suppose my question is how much does that does your following play on the kind of content that you that you want to share instead of just going I'm gonna share whatever I want and you guys can just suck it and thinking yeah. okay actually no this is what my people are asking from me and this is what I'm going to share today how do you balance that
0: I don't in all honesty I don't ever really think um oh, I'm going to share this because people are going to want to see this. I share it because I want to see it and I would want to see it on someone else's um, Mm. Instagram or blog or whatever it is. And... I think, as I said, being authentic and staying true to like your vision and your goals is always at the forefront of all the decisions I make, whether it's a big business decision or whether it's a stupid decision, like, oh, do I post this Instagram story? And like, of course you edit things out and that is part of building a brand and you don't always show everything. And you you know often make things perhaps look a bit different to what they really are and that's just life and that's how this world is run like you're not mm. going to see me when i almost missed my flight to <laughs> milan and then my bag got broken and then it got lost like you're not going to see those moments one because i'm terrible at documenting those and two because that's not what i want to show people because that stuff is that's not part of my brand yeah and I think that's that's where a lot of this talk about you know oh you should show people everything and like you know you've got to be transparent and like of course i agree to that to a certain extent like not photoshopping your images and not making yourself look like you're a size six when you're a size 10 like that absolutely but there are some things that like you know from a privacy perspective you don't want people to see Mm. and I mean, I know that like my followers love when I share more of like my personal uh, life and the my, things that happen like behind closed doors. But my whole thing as a as a brand is that it's about fashion and it's about beauty and it's very much that aspect of my life which is so authentic to me and that is mm. me as a, as a person, but I'm just not going to show you those more intimate moments that I prefer to keep you know between my family and I or my partner and I. So there's, a, there's a, it's a constant battle, but once you kind of know your end game, mm. that's just what you look to and and then it becomes easy.
1: Yeah. Well Jamie, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're sitting there hopefully on a sunny day in Los Angeles (laughs) full of optimism. It's always sunny in LA. It's always sunny (laughs) in LA. Hey, but thank you so much, Jamie Ridge, uh, for your time today. Um, We hope to be able to check back with you in the coming weeks and see where your career has evolved um, since we spoke. Um, I wish you all the very best for 2020 and whatever you've got lying ahead of you. Um, Travel safely. Represent us well, be authentic, <laughs> uh, and I hope you always love what you do. Thank you, Jamie. Oh, thanks, Mars. That was the latest from Fashion and Focus. Thanks for tuning in and being a part of our conversation.
0: If you want more, make sure you subscribe to get a fresh episode in your inbox every week.
1: Check out more of our episodes on your favorite podcast feed, and get in touch with us at Fashion and Focus at showroom22.com.